and literally I just took it off him and sprinted by him and then Roberto Carlos came and I did the same to him and I remember they both looked at me like that moment changed my whole career because those guys were my heroes those guys I loved I looked up to and then when you get on the field you realize we're all in the same spot there's only yeah. one ball there's 22 players you got to give it what you got the official Manchester City podcast Welcome to the official Manchester City podcast with me, Rob Pollard. And as always, I'm joined by former City defender, Nadem Inouye. Nadem, we've got Owen Hargreaves with us today. Mm. How excited are you for this one? Very much so, very much so. So I played with him at City and I was with him actually at QPI, even though it doesn't appear on his Wikipedia. And he's got some stories to tell. He's had quite an illustrious career. Yeah, in doing the research for this, it definitely has hit me just how kind of the magnitude of the player because... His record, played at the top level throughout his career, won the biggest prizes in the game. I mean, this is the kind of guess we want, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's um, still some people won't understand, say, why he's on a switch. But as soon as you start hearing him speak, I'm sure there'll be sort of an understanding because, as I say, he's so significant. But I think that's, as I look back, that was the nature of his career. A lot of people just slept on him and what how good he was and what he was doing. But he still did pretty well outside of that. And of course, he had a year at City, and that year was pretty significant. So although Owen was held back by injuries during that year, that was the year we won the league under Mancini, and, the, and uh, things first, started to change. The first, the first Premier League title, I think anyone that was even around at that time is very, very significant. I think he'll probably have a lot to say about that. Yeah, I want to get some insight into the big players who were, who were here at that time. So okay, before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe the podcast wherever it is you do your podcast listening and that way you'll always be the first to know when we drop a new episode. But here we go with episode three of this New Look podcast with Owen Hargreaves. I want to go right back if we can to your time growing up. You know, you've got a very interesting family lineage. You were born in Canada, moved to Germany, British family. I mean... What's that like for a young person and what does that do for, for your kind of identity, if you like? To be fair, in a, in a way, I've kind of got lost in, in, in it myself. I always consider myself a global citizen. That's what I call it now because I lived, I was born and raised in Canada, lived there for 16 years, uh, lived in Munich for 10 years and then wanted to change scenery, you know, football-wise and moved to Manchester. So I feel blessed that I've been able to travel and have different experiences, learn different cultures, different languages. But I'm the only person in my family up to that point that had been born in Canada even my brothers one was born in England one was born in Wales my mum's Welsh from real my dad's from Bolton uh they moved to Canada for for my dad's job um and we grew up in a football family my dad played semi-pro my older brother played um and I just followed them around I was the youngest three boys so we were a football family you know and I just did what you know you did what your dad did what your older brothers did um football was in the blood even though I probably played more basketball in Canada than I did football so I presume your dad was a big influence on you then because obviously he's played to a to a high level you've yeah. gone on to be a footballer yourself I mean that must be that must be nice well I just think you you know you do what your, your dad your dad does and your brother does you know you just follow them around and I don't think there was any vision at all of, of to be a professional football player uh, my dad was very good you know my dad used to play in these over 50 tournaments and you know always get best player you know he was a number 10 he used to think he thought he was George Best um, <laughs> to be fair he was a baller to be fair because he used to he used to he used to play against some of my mates when I moved to Munich and they used to say your dad's still your dad's still running the show so in a way you know it was he obviously probably wanted his kids to play my older brother was a really good player was a center forward probably had the potential probably to be a pro really from his attributes bought him off on a contract when when he was 18 he went back home um, to finish last year's school and then towards ACL so when the opportunity came for me, you know, they being the youngest, they they didn't 
put any just just let me go and, and take that opportunity did you have pressure on yourself seeing what your dad did or was it just a case you could enjoy it no I, I didn't have any pressure no I didn't know I didn't really know I was that good I don't know when you were when you were a kid you don't you really must have, you must have known you were good no no I, I mean in all the teams that I played on I was always kind of the, you know the guy that if you needed a goal you, you know you'd be you yeah but um I played further forward I was a 10 basically I think we all probably were as yeah kids, that's when we, we start that's when and we then start, you realize we and then yeah. you the higher up the, the chain you go, you realize, well, there's some better tens than me. And then you kind of <laughs> gradually <laughs> worked your way back, don't yeah, you, Nathan? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. athletic, I was, I was very lucky. You know, I was, I was very quick and I had great endurance. I was always the quickest. I was always won all the, the endurance things. But I think the thing that helped me become a pro was being the youngest of three boys. So I played against my older brothers that were really competitive. You know, so I, mm. your brothers, you know, kick the life out of you. That's just how it is. And you just got to learn to take it on the chin. So I think when I, when I got into the football environment, I was quite, I was quite resilient. You know, obviously there's a lot of talented boys in, in our ages. You go up to the 14s, 16s, 18s, and everybody can play. Everybody's the best player from his neighborhood, from his city, his country. But then you get all these kids in one room and City probably have it here now with all these kids. You get all these kids are the best of the best, but something's got to give, you know? And, and it's not so much, it's not the talent that, that gets there. You know, it's, it's, it's the head and it's the heart. And you never really know who's going to be that guy, Nadem, do you? It's, yeah, that's true, yeah. So really, that's why they say with the young kids, it's sink or swim. You know, you throw them in and you see the ones that make it are the ones that swim, you know, and it, 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 yeah, it's true. tough, but that's just how the business is. Were you somebody who expected to achieve the level of success that you achieved or did you just kind of drift, you know, and, and get better and better kind of, kind of in, a, in a more natural and organic way? Yeah, no, never, ever. I mean, I think my dad probably had visions of me but I know you, you. You can't have them where I grew up. I grew up in Canada. I mean, to be honest, I didn't want to ask my parents for any money when I was a kid. So I worked at McDonald's when I was fourteen after school. I was a chef. So hold on, hold on. Did he say a chef? You call it, is it a chef at McDonald's? I was cooking. I was a chef. Is it cook was, or a chef? Come on, let's let's address was, that now. I was I was in the kitchen. Yeah, we my, go. I used to be able to see my buddies. I've the, seen some burgers school. come out of McDonald's. Trust I think me, cooks in there, not chefs. Trust no, no chefing. But to be fair, <laughs> you're cooking. You know, so this is true. This is true. Um, but it was cool. It was cool to have a job. You know, and, and then I used to, I played basketball after school, and then I got an opportunity to go to to Bayern, kind of um, do this coach who was German on trial. And I remember thinking, my, my dad said to me, this is Bayern Munich. No, these guys are a real deal. And I was like, yeah, yeah. What am I going to know about Bayern Munich? What am I going to know about Germany as a 15-year-old as a boy? And I remember I went on trial, and the whole team was like under 17 national players. And everyone's telling me how hard it's going to be, how hard it's going to be. And I remember once the ball rolled after about two minutes, and Nadine will understand this, I knew, ah, I'm okay here. Mm. And this light went off in my head, like, you can do this. And and from that moment on, I had that probably three or four times in my career. I had it in that moment, and I thought, right, I can do this. And after that, they, they offered me a contract, and I had the same uh, feeling. I remember playing my first year as a pro, Champions League semifinal. One of our players was suspended, and I had to start the semifinal. And our coach had all, had all these other guys that he could have played, older guys, early 30s. And in the end, he, he canvassed all the players, and they said, no, I'll play Owen, which I didn't know at the time. I remember standing in the tunnel uh, before the semifinal. I looked across and Luis Figo was in the white Real Madrid kit. Looked like absolute god. Yes. Had the hair gel back, and he literally. And I remember looking at him, thinking, "God, he, he looks like he's glowing or something." <laughs> literally before the game, I was thinking that before the game, I was thinking, "I think he's glowing or something." And obviously, he would have never known me, right? Being being a young kid, none of the Real players would have known me. But I remember after like five minutes in the game, he's like exactly where Nadam is, and he just laid the ball in front of me. He obviously didn't know me. He didn't know I was really quick. And when he just left it there, like where the table was, I remember thinking, 
can't do that. Can't leave that there. Take that. And literally, I just took it off him and sprinted by him. And then Roberto Carlos came and I did the same to him. And I remember they both looked at me like, what? Wow. And I never forget that moment changed my whole career because those guys were my heroes. Those guys I loved, I looked up to. And then when you get on the field, you realize we're all in the same spot. There's only one ball, there's 22 players. You got to give it what you got. And that game after, I was on a reserve team contract at the time. I went in the dressing room after we won, got to the final. And Carl Harris really came in. I was just getting a glass of water, just like that. And he went, you well played your contract. We'll give you a new one tomorrow. And, that, and that's how it started. So from that moment on, so the under-17 one that I had playing with these national players, and then that one, then I just thought, forget it. I'm just going to swing for the fences every time I play. And let's see where the chips fall. I might make it there. I might make it there. But what I, what I learned was my best was good enough which is a really powerful thing for mm, belief, yeah. for any young kid. Or, you know, because everybody tells you, we can or you shouldn't or don't dream too big. Oh, dream big. Mm. You know, back yourself and see where the chips fall. Yeah. My dad used to always say to me, just give me your best. Don't care how you play. Just give me your best. And that's how I tried to play football. What? Try and tell us the, the, about the size and the magnitude of a club like Bayern Munich because they really, they, they are one of the biggest in the world, aren't they? So what's, what's it like being in, in, in an environment like that? You know what? It's a huge club, but it's it's a big family club too. Um, the guys that run the club, you know, was Franz Beckenbauer, Karl Heinz Rummenigge, uh, Uli Hunnis. So basically, I used to I just started training with the pros in Bayern's. So I went from the 18s into the reserve team, and their reserve team played in the equivalent of League One, which was brilliant. So we we'd have all these talented young kids which come from the academy. They got all the boys can play, but they don't really know how to compete yet mm. in men's football. And there's a big difference. And then you go into that league and was a lot of older Eastern European players. And those guys wanted to win to pay their mortgage, you know, because the yeah. bonuses were, were huge. So you had all these guys going, come on, like you have to learn to, to compete. Um, and then when I went into the reserve team, that, that was brilliant because we had kind of a couple older mentors that helped us. But early Hernes and Franz Beckmann, I used to come watch. You know, if you, if you were slacking, you're not going to train with the first team. And then I remember I went into the first team and I was kind of on the, you know, you're on the fringes as a yeah. young kid. And on the Mondays, a lot of the ex, you know, like Uli Hoeneß and Rummenigge, they used to have a kickabout on a, on, a, on a Monday on these little goals. Uh, for whatever reason, I joined in. And I remember uh, Rummenigge saying to me after, he said, oh, I, I mean, imagine I'm in around the first team already, right? And he says to me, obviously, so I sprinted by him quite a few times. He said, hey, you might have something on. You know, I was like, what? You've already given me a contract. <laughs> I'm here. But I've just sprinted by a 55-year-old, you know, ex-pro. And he said, oh, you might have something. And, that, and that's kind of, Bayern was cool like that because you always had, you know, Uli Hoeneß, who was a great goal scorer in his generation. Carl Hans Rummenigge was the, was the best player in the world at the time in his generation. You know, so you had Gerd Muller, used to be the reserve team assistant coach. So you had all these kind of old-school greats, Bayern greats, that were in and around. And they kept it very family. They kept the boys really humble and, and hungry, which I thought was cool. Did you ever feel like real pressure when you were there? Because it feels from the outside like they're just the biggest team in Germany, almost by a mile. Do you feel that pressure when you when you wear that shirt or is it more? Oh, just yeah, definitely. Quite Every day we used to have fights in training. Every day. Guys were so competitive. I remember when I first um I first joined the first team. And back then, like in England it was different. Because when I went into the well, when I got into the England team, couldn't believe how accommodating all the older players were, you know. David Seaman and Teddy Sheringham and all the guys were incredibly accommodating whereas in, in Germany they were kicking the life out of me every day every day mm. um, and that's how it was you know you pick the balls up you pick the cones up you know you, you do as you're told you open doors for the older guys which was cool that's how my dad raised me but I remember one so I, was, I just started training with the first team I was training pretty good and all the old boys were smashing me every day you know they'd smash them pick you back up 
and you learn not to say anything. And I remember the manager was watching Hitzfeld at the time and he could tell the boys were frustrated with me because I was training well. Anyway, so the, all the guys went in, I had to collect the balls and the count. And he said, look, um, let me give you a piece of advice. If they're angry at you, it's because you're good. And if, you know, they, they feel losing their spot. He said, I can't side with you because I got to have the, the backing of the older players. I got to be seen to on their side. But he said, every, every time you step on this football pitch, you hunt every one of them and you let them know you're here. He said, when it finishes, you collect the balls, you open the doors and you got to be a gentleman. That was probably the best piece of coaching advice I ever got. So for me, every time I stepped on the pitch, I was going to give my best and let them know I was there. Does that make you, Rob, does that make you want to be a part of that or does that scare you when you think about how you play football? It scares me, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've not got that competitive nature, hence the reason, you know, you guys are sat where you, you are. You must see that as well. I mean, like, when you play and you're surrounded by people and you see, you're in that environment, it feels perfectly normal. But then, say, for me personally, since I've retired, I've stepped on the other side and I play football against lots of amateurs who think that they could play, but they don't have that thing no, no. to be able to survive that and to sort of thrive in it as well. Oh, no, it's such a different... It's such a different thing. And that's what people always say to him. We all, we all love football. We're all around football. My dad played, my older brother played. It's like a recipe. You've got to have all the ingredients for the recipe. You might be able to play and you might have great skills. But what, what I learned was, and it, it became a very powerful thing in a way, and I didn't say it to be rude to people, but off the pitch, I was pretty quiet, pretty chill. On the pitch, I'm coming for you every time. And I used to say to people, as I learned that, the bigger the game got, the better I got. And I didn't know that until I was really young. Mm. And it's like it's like I grew into the game and I could almost outplay my own ability. But what was interesting was I could outperform people that were better than me, that had more talent than me. And when you know you have more talent than me and I can outperform you, that's quite humbling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what that environment is. Nadim knows you've been there. It's, it's every man for himself in a way. Yeah. And, and, and you got to have it when you need it. And that's like, you know, like the Champions League. Everybody's great. Everybody can play. All the managers are great. You got to have it when you need it, and and that's all football is at the highest level. You know, all the boys can play, but the competitive side, yeah. I think, is the most important element, kind of in, in in professional sports. That's the differentiator between the best. I would say so, and I think overall, what I would say is, from the outside, you see, it's easier for people from the outside to see talent, but when you're on the inside, you see the other stuff as well. You know, so the people who say fans and stuff overall say, "Oh, this guy should be playing week in, week out." Sometimes people on the inside know why they're not playing week in, week out. 100%. And it's because of that little bit of je ne sais quoi or the sort of the dogged nature of what it is to be a great professional. Because in my example, I think maybe you were there for it. Did we, was the Delta Raptor at QPR when you came towards the end? So that was interesting because I, so basically I'd done all this training to get fit and the medical stuff, City were crazy good. I went from a place where I couldn't walk sometimes and I trained every day for five months. To me, that was like, that was priceless. And I remember the, they all saw the work that I put in. I respect the fact they were so patient with me. And they said, oh, and you can't retire. Now even Roberto Mancini said to me, he said, I'd give you another contract if I could, but you haven't played enough games, so I can't, you know? And I said, no, no, I wasn't that type. I said, I completely respect that. He said, but Platzi, all of them said to me, you can't retire. You, you, you're training every day, you're playing. Mm. Uh, and they'd had a lot of people at QPR, um, ex-City people. So they said, you should go there. So anyway, so so... I went and did a few days. Sparky was my only. And to be, I, I probably never told you this story, but that that those two days helped me make my mind up to retire. And I remember seeing Sparky a couple months later doing a TV show, and he said to me, "What happened? I thought you were going to sign. It was a sign for me because you guys were going on a on a tour up, uh, in Europe, Italy, I think it was at the time." And he said to me, "What happened? I thought you were going to sign." I said, "To be honest, Sparky, do you want the truth?" And he went, "Yeah." I said, 
to be, I watched training, or I trained a couple of days, and then I listened to the dressing room, and I thought, no, nah, this is not for me. Yeah. Not, not not in a critical way, but I'd never been used to a level like I'd never not played in Champions League, and you know, I, I, I'm all for the boys having a good time, having fun and stuff. But when you get on the pitch, it's all business, and and I think obviously you had you had quite a mishmash of everything. Yeah. You got talent, you had, you know, and you had you had a real mix, and that's hard to get a get the culture right and I think that's where you see a lot of teams struggle and I remember saying to Sparky at the time I said look you know uh, well, I forgot the way I worded it. I said to him yeah that I didn't that was never gonna that was never gonna work he said I wish you would have told me because he yeah. you know you probably got the sack a, a couple yeah. months later but I think when you've been in around those environments you know Nadim you've been there and then you go into a different one like yeah. that it's quite a contrast Yeah. the interesting thing I thought about that team was I thought Obviously, the talent of the players was, was crazy good. It was so good. And maybe so good that they actually didn't really know what they had, some of them, you know, the mm, collection of yeah. players that they had. But the interesting thing I thought was you had the, 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 the best players in the whole team, you know, Yaya was, you know, was just was, was amazing. And then Sergio and David Silva, they all pretty much didn't say much, which is very interesting because most of the top teams and the top players, they're the vocal ones, aren't they? Mm. And so the star players were quite quiet. They kind of were silent leaders and then you had a you had a strong dressing room with you know with Nigel and Jolien and Vinny and Joe Hart and you, you know you had these uh, Gareth Barry you had these guys that were leaders but actually the superstars were orchestrating in the background I thought it made for a really interesting dynamic in a way because those those three or four I thought were just you know they took the level from, from there to yeah, there to up, yeah. what about Roberto Mancini he's a, a manager who kind of sometimes divides opinion. Uh, the fans at City love him, obviously, because he delivered uh, success and changed the mentality of the of the entire football club. How did you find him for that year? You know what? I, I, I got on with him really well, actually, but I, I'm probably a bad gauge because I get, get on well with pretty much most people. But I think he knew my where I came from, you know, and that I ended up playing for England even though it wasn't my country. I ended up making a buy when, you know, nobody come through the academy in a long time. So he was a player. He knew what it took to get there. You know, and then I, I had the injury that I had. You know, he saw me kind of training. Then I did a, I kind of did a medically flew me to Italy to meet his guy to get his okay. He was cool. Then I came back and did the, the city one, and 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 I quite like Roberto. You know, he he was a straight shooter. He wasn't as, as sensitive as people probably would have wanted to be. But the environment doesn't isn't suited to that. And um, but I got I got on with him well. And in the end, this industry is all about results. And it's great if you can be super nice all the time. But I don't think that environment suits that, in a way. I, I just think you you know you just saw with Graham Potter at Chelsea, you know it's a different environment. If you're not used to it, it's then I think Roberto being in it as a player and with the national team and you know as as a manager, I think he 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 brought his own his own feel to it. But he he ran the show. That's that's for sure. So having spent that year here, were you surprised to see how well City have done, or, or no. having spent that year here, are you seem not have expected. I was blown away by what they had on and off the pitch. You know, people look at, and I always say to people, people always look at, you know, the players and stuff, you know, and they've had some pretty super special players, don't get me wrong, some of the best. What they had on the pitch with what people saw, they had in every department that people didn't see. Medically, in the gym, the guys, the physios, the the day-to-day -day stuff, just everyone, one of them, they just yeah. had all these people, you know, throughout the whole football club, they had all these guys that were just Doing their job immaculately, and and that's when I was like, wow, this is this is for real. Because you know you can look at teams, and you can go sign big hitters, and you know, and thing is now, and you see it in the transfer market. Manchester City don't really miss it. 
you know, mm. they, they don't really miss. In, they, to me, I didn't really see them missing any any departments. I couldn't believe how many boxes they ticked in off the pitch. You know, you look at Yaya and David and Sergio, yeah, that's easy. You know, anybody can see that. Yeah. But whoever was able to put the infrastructure behind deserves a ton of credit because that's that was as impressive as what what you could see every day that was 100 i think that's one of the biggest things that i saw across the years is when they came in they wanted to be the best but the best wasn't specific to just being on the field yeah. like they knew that would come with the other stuff as well and you would have seen it going i saw it from listen, you know I saw after you left here yeah it's 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 the way it's changed is, is amazing even to be in this studio now yeah you know even to see the training ground the way that it is and the design of it how everything's together, how everything's geared towards going to this place, how everything's geared towards performance, finding that extra 1% yeah. across all departments. So, but also, I mean, when you go to other teams, you know, QPR yeah. or whatever, you know, and you see when the structure's not there and you don't have the mentality, all of a sudden you think, when, yeah. when you're used to something, it's hard because yeah. you think, how come we don't have that? Or how, how come the boys aren't training? Or how come the, you know, it's, it's and, and again, Nathan's right, these little things, they all add up. But when you happen to be there and baby it all the time, it's you know it's it's really challenging. Whereas with Manchester City, they just you know every everything was just set, and I think that they they changed the culture pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at QPR, you know we couldn't train on Wednesdays. Did you know that? And we couldn't train on Wednesdays because the university right. in London had their place for sports days, and that's in the Premier League. Yeah. So if we had any sort of reason to recover or whatever, like we can't do it. We had to go somewhere else. It's incredible. Yeah. Who who, who was the best player at City for that year? Because you talked there about. Obviously, yeah, yeah, David Silva, Aguero, but day to day, minute to minute, who was the one who you came away and just thought, you can't test test that person? It's hard to compare. They're also different and also unique. I love Vinny for his leadership and his, you know, his kind of his mentality. Yaya yeah was just a phenomenon, you know, just size, technical ability, so much better player than, you know, I think we all look at, we saw him at Barca and he played as like a defensive midfield mm-hmm. player. And then you see him. And then in training every day, you think, wow, this guy is like, he's a Ferrari, you know, like he's quick, he's strong, he's, his feet, you know, his touch. Um, Sergio was like, get it in and around the box. Was, you know, Sergio was just like, get it in his feet, it's a goal. You know, like, drop short, it's a goal. Carlos was the same. Carlos, you know, probably, I love Carlos. I absolutely love Carlos. Not a great trainer, I hope you don't mind me saying that, but I tell you what, when the lights come on, yeah, the game, he's, there, yeah. he's your guy. Yeah. Or you put your house on him, you know, and I love that the Argentinians, they play with, they got this fire in them, which I just think is is amazing. But for me, I love all the boys. They're amazing. But David Silva, that guy, like Nadem, Nadem was a you know was, was a great athlete, physical defender, could play everything. But these guys, you think when you, when you look at them and you think you should be Nadem, able to take the ball from Nadem, yeah, Nadem and David, you think I'm taking that yeah, off you, lost. But you can't. This can't is how it, yeah. this is what happens when you play David Silva. This distance yeah. we have between us, two meters. That's what that's what David Silva finds in the game, the whole game. Yeah. I said to him once, joking, I said to him in training, because he's so light on his feet, I swear you can't even hear him. Most of the boys, you know, they're, they're breathing and they're pounding, you hear, you hear everything, they're grunting. David was just like, he was just like this, he was just floating around. And I remember I, I, we were in training once and I kind of, I was always a defensive man, so I checked my shoulder, he's there, boom, checked my shoulder, gone. And that's how he was. And I remember saying to him, like, well, I was just joking, I said, tell you what, David, if it doesn't work out in football, You'd have a great career breaking into places because you, you can't hear you. <laughs> Literally, he was just like this. He was so light on his feet and his touch, and he was two steps ahead. And uh, that that's a gift, you know. Yeah. That that's a gift he has. All, I mean, you can talk physical elements and speed and strength and all that stuff. But what he had to see the game two steps ahead, I think, and and you see it a little obviously with Messi and 
you know, and Kevin De Bruyne a little bit. They they feel for the game. They know where the ball's going to go and where it's going to end up and what's going to happen. Mm. And I think that to do that in a game that's become so physical and so athletic, I think is. I found really remarkable. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point because with David, I'd, I'd probably argue a little bit like a Bernardo Silva sometimes when he gets on the ball. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. Here's this small person with no physical attribute that has the ball at their feet. So I'm just gonna go and take it. Yeah. I was like, no. Next thing they're going somewhere else. Yeah. It's so hard to compute. But I think um, you know, there's a lot of debate about who's the best of this generation and so on between Messi, Ronaldo, and the like. And I my take because you've obviously played with Ronaldo is with Messi. There's certain things he does which you can't coach. He just sees a different game altogether. That Ronaldo's incredible. But, like, what Messi does is what Messi does. I can't say to my kid, we're going to watch all these clips and you're going to be this person. Can't see it. No. You know what I mean? But I think I think Messi has something, and I think there's probably levels of it, and Messi's probably an extreme version of it. He sees the game 0.1 seconds quicker than everyone else. Yeah. And I don't know how he does it. But by the time he gets it, he's already he's made his he's already done. scanned. Yeah, you know. Knows. Whereas most of us, we get it and then we scan. And I think for Messi, for whatever reason, his ability to create a picture in amongst all that chaos and be ready. And I think David had that a little bit. You know, he always had a picture of of what he wanted to do and where the ball ended up, and you couldn't get anywhere near him. Right. And I thought that was, and all the guys were amazing, but I just thought David had something. And if you look at the numbers and assists and goals, they're not. You know, we're in such a number-obsessed generation. Yeah. But I think pure football-wise, David was a beauty. What about in terms of your international career? When did you know you were going to play for England and, and how did that approach happen? Because presumably you could have played for other countries. About five different countries, though. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. So Canada won me to play. I got cut from the Canada under 14 team, I think it was. Said I was Wild too decision. Sh- yeah, I said I was too small. <laughs> uh, which is cool no, yeah, fair was, enough yeah. um, and then I went to Bayern and then they called me back up when I was at Bayern kind of breaking through it I mean it's a 10 hour flight you know you're trying to make it at Bayern and they said look we want you to come into a camp and I said look I can't you know I'm here and they said I remember they said look if, if you don't come now then you know that ship's out for you and I'm thinking saying that to a 17 year old kid I thought that's, that's, that's tough, so strange yeah. and then I broke into the first team not long after um, and then in my first year we won the Bundesliga with the last kick of the game we won the Champions League against Valencia and so Canada wanted me to play. I think Germany wanted me to play. Wales wanted me to play. And all of a sudden I had all these options, you know, and I always thought I was going to play for Canada because I'm Canadian born and bred, even though my whole family's British, English and Welsh. But in the end, what's the one thing you want to do as a young man, as, as a kid, is, is make your dad proud. You know, my dad's a proud Englishman. Um, you know, it was weird because I was obviously an outcast in the dressing room because, you know, my accent, I'm, everyone knows I'm born in Canada, I'm playing in Germany, I couldn't have made it more. Yeah, yeah. You know, I couldn't have suck out yeah. anymore. <laughs> You're not part of any of them cliques. No, no, but you know what? I always treated myself, I was like Switzerland, I was just independent. You know, you had these really strong Man United and Liverpool and Chelsea, you know, you had all these big strong cliques, you know, at the dinner table, everybody sat together and then you had a few of the boys that were from mixed teams that used to sit together, the young boys as well. And I could just roll around with anyone because I wasn't, I didn't really have any affiliation. But yeah, sometimes I felt like I wasn't you know, people like what's a Canadian German guy? People thought I was German. I just worked in Germany. Do you know what I mean? I was just, I was just playing there. But I, I remember we had a at the World Cup 2006. I had to, um, so I got named in the squad. And I think in the kind of in the meeting room or the, in the room that they did it, the journals booed as they announced the squad. Um, so Adrian Beverton, who I still speak to to this day, is a great guy. He um he said, look, we gotta you know we gotta s- sit down with these guys and have a chat because they. 
you know, they're not really having you. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that's weird. Um, <laughs> I so imagine that it. these days, journalists booing someone. So, um, nonsense. So anyway, I remember we were at the Lowry Hotel and I sat down with the Sunday journals, about eight or 10 of them. I'm sure they'll all remember me and Adrian, Adrian before the World Cup 2006. And they're like, they're basically, why are you here? And I said, guys, with the utmost respect, um, I'm sure you guys are pretty good at your job. But I said, if you guys would have done your homework, which I'm sure you have, and that's why we're having this conversation, you wouldn't be asking that question because I'm pretty good at my my job too. So I said, obviously, you boys, you know, are quite strong on the Premier League and you're watching that, but you're not watching the Bundesliga, which is fine. Um, but I said, if you watch me play, you would never say what you're saying to me. Anyway, so we all, and Adrian said to me, yeah. You know, could have toned it down a little bit, but you know, it, I, I I meant it, you know, and I wasn't trying to be difficult. And funny enough, I think the narrative came from somebody that's doing my job now. I'm going to name names, um, who basically said I shouldn't be in there. Um, and then that 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 creates, yeah, you know, people kind of form their opinions off the back of that. Anyway, I remember at the end of the World Cup, I, we lost to Portugal, and I walked through the mix zone, and all the journalists give me like a, a round of applause to the same guys. You know, and, and, and it's not about trying to, like, prove anybody wrong. But the point is, you know, and that's why when I do this job now, I don't I don't say anything I don't believe. And I make my own opinions. I don't let anybody kind of force what they want on me or any narratives. I watch the game myself. I've been there as a player. I'm not, don't try and be critical. I try and speak from a point where I'm trying to help a player, you know, improve or avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. But it makes you realize there's a lot of people doing these jobs that... yeah. Don't do the homework properly, and it's amazing how that this. So in a way, I had to fight that narrative for quite a long time. You know, being Canadian and playing in Germany. Only then did it kind of people go, ah, okay, well, you know, we'll ex- we'll accept him, which which was fine, you know, because I had to I had to get it the hard way pretty much my whole that career. Story makes will sound so insular, doesn't it, as a country? No, yeah, but that's what it is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, and less so now though. Sure, I mean that wouldn't happen. I, now, I tell surely. you what was amazing though. Before, so before we had our last game at Old Trafford before the World Cup, and we were kind of. We had to do like a round of, you know, to yeah. hang fans yeah. before we went off. And never forget, so we're doing like a circle. And there was a couple guys in the first row and they had these t-shirts made up. And they said, the Bundesliga is rubbish. <laughs> like, I imagine they made that, they got to all that effort just oh to like, just, no. and, I'm, and I remember thinking, fuck, this is going to be. And to be fair, when I got to the World Cup, because you're in the team hotel or whatever, and I knew obviously there was a bit of negativity around whatever. Didn't turn TV on once. Didn't go on the internet once. I used to get into a room and I used to train. I used to stretch. I used to sit ups, push ups. So I had I had no noise. You know, obviously it was before social media. And I would I would tell the boys do the same. All that stuff is just noise. You yeah. know, you got to focus on your craft. And it was amazing how if I could just focus on what I could control, which was my work ethic or what I could control. It's amazing actually how when you start worrying about all this stuff, it clouds your you know it clouds you. You think should I do this? Should I not? If you just go for it and, you know, give it your best and see where the chips fall, it is it is quite amazing where how far you can actually how far you can go. It's fantastic that. What did you, what did you think of Sven? Oh, I love Sven. Sven 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 I mean he he loved me to be fair because when he needed me I was there for him. And he knew that, you know, fair play to him for picking me because we had a coach at Bayern who was the guy that brought me to Bayern Munich at the time at, at sixteen. He was the guy Bjorn Anderson, he was a sweet. He was the guy who saw me train and said, Yeah, we'll take him. He's got something. Don't know what it is, but he's got something. Um, and he was, and so he he was quite close to Sven, and they used to come watch with Todd Grip. Um, and whenever Sven used to, you know, pick me or watch me play, I always played quite well. 
and um, and I was always really naturally fit. So we, we we were in England camp, and we had back in the day the polar belts and all that. It was pretty basic technology, but you know. And I remember used to come into the team hotel. I think it was Southport House at the time in Hertfordshire. And you come in, they'd be like, "Oh, come here, come look at this." So we go in this room where they had these belts, you know, and like you know where they were kind of the data was just uploading. Yeah. He'd be like, "Look how fit you are." And I said, "What do you mean?" I don't know what I'm looking at. You know, I'm like early twenties. He's like. How fit you are. He said, We got like the best of the best, and you recover way quicker than anyone here. He said, It's crazy. And I said, Yeah, yeah. I said, That's, you know, that's great. I, you know, but I just, that was my strength. So I think Sven always, he knew I had this determination in me, but also physically and athletically, I could play a lot of different positions and do a lot of things. But I think he just knew I'd be there from when he needed me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think Sven was good at sort of bringing out the best in everyone in his team. Yeah. And I think. Everyone that I've come across really enjoyed having Sven as a coach. And it's not because he's, say, just soft or whatever. It's because he just knows how to get that little bit extra out of you by understanding who you are as a person yeah. and what your game is. But I think we, in this country, everybody wants to shouting and yelling and these yeah. hero speeches and all that. And that's what annoys me a bit because people it's misjudge nonsense, him. It? Yeah. They misjudge him because yeah. they want to see someone on the sidelines ranting and raving and shouting and screaming. But everyone on the field is trying their best for their manager in yeah. Sven. Because they have that extra connection with him, and he he was just so calm, wasn't he? He was just it was so chill. I think, I think I think a lot of the boys love that. To one be of the fair. nicest guys in football, yeah. certainly. That is a misconception for you. Okay, so this is my perspective. I don't know if you're the same way, but if I'm on the field, yeah, more often than not, the manager will be trying to shout stuff onto the field, but you can't really hear them. Yeah? No chance. So if I see someone on the sideline that's panicking and basically having some sort of panic attack on the side, it doesn't make things better. No, when someone's quite calm and can pass over information. If they can't, it means they, they believe in what's going on. They understand it. They trust it. Yeah. And they'll give you the information when they need it. Yeah. As opposed to the ones on the sideline who are like kicking every ball. And well, getting you can't really. Everything. You're right, Nathan. There's 70,000 people saying, we can't hear what they're saying. You just nod. You're like, yeah, 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 Pretending you've got the message. Not got a clue what yeah. they're saying. Not got a clue. We're going to have to wrap it up, unfortunately, because we are running out of time. But one very quick question on England. Obviously, the, the failure of the golden generation has been poured over, but... A lot of it comes down to the fact that we rigidly stuck to four four two. Just dead quickly, what formation should we have adopted in 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 that time? Do you think to have had more success on on that stage? I don't know. Almost everybody was undroppable. You're not going to drop Bex, Scalzi, or CVG, or Frank, or Michael Owen, or Wayne Rooney. You know, everybody was kind of the guy in his team, and I think that was one of the biggest problems we had. We had everybody was the guy in his team. So when he got it, he he'd, he'd do something. But then when we got to international football, and everybody was trying to hit that pass, and then you played Croatia and all of a sudden we had a lot of great ball players and I said this to Brian Marwood when I met him before, when I was when I was Hampshire City you know the problem is not so much when you're playing with the ball is when you don't have it who's going to get it back and I wasn't thinking about myself but we, we played anybody with England and we got popped off the pitch for fun and it wasn't so much they were better than us but we didn't have the balance right and you're right this prob- probably was a four four two, but Heskey did a great job back in the day and that's how we played you know so we always trying to my first game for England I played left wing because they were looking for a left winger for a decade. I'd never played left wing in my life. No. But in a way, so we were trying to work around that. I think now with the way formations and structure, imagine having Pep with England, with that group of players. Be but in a way, you know what? I think everybody says we underachieved. Yeah, we did. Of course we did. But we we lost to Brazil in 2002. A great Brazil team. The, on a, a ridiculous one. Then we lost in 04. That was probably the best team I played in um, when 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 Wazza burst onto the scene on penalties um, to Portugal. And lost in all six to Portugal on penalties. Yeah. So fine you know, margins. You, you, the margins are really fine. Yeah. And I think you see that with, with Manchester City and the Champions League. You're always right there. And you never really know. 
sometimes just on the day, Don't the margins are fine. That's just how it is at the elite level. So we experienced that yeah. with England, and, and 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 it's very humbling. But that that that's the nature of the beast, and I think so. Respect the fact. I'm sure we would all love. We all want stuff with our clubs, and we're thinking we never did because we didn't get the blame right. We weren't good enough. End of. We have a few questions we ask every guest. Number one: If you could change one rule in football, what would it be? Great question. Um, can we come back to that one? We can come back to that. That's such a good one. I need to think about. It. Yeah. Another question. So we ask each guest to ask the next guest a question, even though we're not going to tell you who that guest is. Our last guest was Scott Carson, and he asked, what's the biggest occasion you've ever been involved in in your football career? Um, I would say... Watch, this is going to flex on us now. Yeah. Um, Here we go. When did you know you are going to make it? That, that's a question. Okay. When did you know you are going to make it? Because I remember that's, that's quite a powerful feeling when you know, when you know you've, you've, you're there. You know, because it's so hard. You know, I'm sure all the boys at the academy now, they all think... But you're not really sure, and then when you when you make that step and you like your your feet are set in stone, and that to me that's a really power. Like the one I had as when I played against Figo, that's a that's a powerful feeling. And most players must have. Everybody that's, will have had it. Yeah. But what was the answer to the question then? So what? the answer from Scott for, to, for you is: What's the biggest occasion you've ever been involved in? It's I had so many I had so many big See, ones. He's doing the thing. He's flexing on us. Champions League so many. final, final one, final two. Yeah. you know, I w- the I w- Liga, I Premier League. Yeah, there was so there was so many. Do you know what? I wouldn't say I stopped celebrating. I know it sounds a really horrible thing to say, but I stopped celebrating them because I stopped setting goals anymore because I kept out. I, I kept Feature. going beyond what I could have ever dreamed of. So in the end, I just I just kept swinging for the fence every time. So, you know, how are you going to compare? My first game as a pro, or your first goal, or you know, winning a Champions League. My first season, we won the Bundesliga with the last kick of the game, literally last free kick of the game, and then we won the Champions League two weeks later. And I remember thinking, "Is this? This is completely already first season." <laughs> but uh, do you know what? I remember the feeling I had after winning the Champions League. I remember, I think it was nineteen or twenty. I remember thinking, I, "It's a horrible thing." But I was like, "Is that it?" I, I thought I was going to feel different. You know, I thought I was going to like something was going to happen to me, and I was going to be this different person. But at the end. You still got to wake up and you still got to go again. And that's the thing I learned at Bayern, you know. It's great to win, but you, can you do it again? Can you go do it again? So I think winning it the second time, you know, I enjoyed it a little bit more because you know what it takes to, to kind of get there. Brilliant. What's the last thing you binged? Like TV series, book, podcast series? What's the last thing you really got into? You know what? To be fair, I don't watch. I don't watch most. Tele- I watch. The, it sounds ridiculous, but I watch YouTube. That's my guy. So you do. That's my guy there. That's exactly. Right. I don't really watch TV. I watch YouTube. I love telly, but like back in the day with like Homeland and all that, you get so into it. But then you're five seasons in, and you like it's 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 a commitment to, you know. Was with that you can pick and choose ten minutes, twenty minutes. Exactly. Uh, Curate your content. Watch yeah. a bit of I don't know sport, cooking, life. You know, there's so many cool things on there. You know. I, that you pop in anything and, and and you can learn it, so it's cool. So, what about a rule change? Have you thought of one football rule change? If you could change one thing. I think if you, I think if you dive, you should get a week's wages. Yeah, week's wages. Do you know? Because I think that would cut it out real quick. You know, we don't, we don't really like. Nobody really likes diving. Remember, I did it once. I think as a kid, my dad said to me, "Don't you ever do that again." It's cheating. I, 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 I'm not going to come watch you if you dive again. I'd never ever dived again. So I think. In a way, obviously, it's a cultural thing in certain places. It's accepted and stuff. But I think we'd get rid of it pretty sharpish. But that sounds like a rule change for someone that's got a defensive mind. 
No, but I think we we all none of us like that. No one likes diving. it. No, uh, you gotta you gotta. Seen yeah. you dive too many times. Listen, I've never done it once. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. I couldn't That's dive. Cool. I was always late. <laughs> well, yeah, I delayed it. I don't know how to do it, but yeah. Owen Hargreaves, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed that. Thank uh, you for having thanks me. for coming in. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. The official Manchester City podcast with Rob Pollard and Nader Manua. That was Owen Hargreaves in conversation there on the official Manchester City podcast. Naden, what did you make? Ah, oh, unreal. Absolutely unreal. My, I think my favourite bit, to be fair, was when he was talking about being a young kid standing in a tunnel next to just Real Madrid and seeing Figo, Roberto Carlos just there looking at you. Like, that's amazing. That's genuinely amazing. I'll tell you what I found. He was really candid and usually with a guest, it's good to bring him in and maybe five or ten minutes to, to warm up. He, he just didn't seem to need it. He no. sort of like walked in the room and, and was ready to talk, wasn't I, he? I think you can kind of tell that he does work in TV, but I think even at the end, I think the way that he described how he works on TV and how he's trying to be as fair as possible, I think that shouldn't be slept on either. Yeah. What a life and career. I was really it's not too bad, is it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Anyway, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the official Manchester City podcast. Don't forget to give us a like and subscribe wherever it is you do your podcast listening. And that way you'll always be the first to know when we drop a new episode. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us today. Take care and we will see you next time. The official Manchester City podcast. Watch the full video version of this show via City Plus and Recast Now. This podcast is produced by Voiceworks Sport and Manchester City.